Welcome back to the Mothers with Fourth Degree Tears podcast, where you will hear firsthand stories from mothers who experienced fourth degree tears in childbirth and hear from the professionals who work with them. My name is Laura Fry and I'm your host. I am the founder of the Fourth Degree Tear Support Group on Facebook and a patient advocate for women with severe tearing in childbirth. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I am really excited to have Miranda from Maine on the podcast and she is going to be sharing with us her story of her fourth degree tear just over two years ago during her first birth and a couple of really important things that are um, that are talked about during her podcast episode that I just wanted to um, talk about now are one of them is just the importance of getting a really good repair immediately after delivery. Um, Unfortunately, you can hear from some of the other podcast episodes, stories from people who did not get um, a really good repair right after delivery and it caused them to need, you know, more repairs in the future or have long-term complications. Um, And so fortunately for Miranda, she did have um, a wonderful doctor who recognized that she needed to have um, a really good repair in an operating room under um, good anesthesia. And so that's just one, um, one thing that was brought up during her podcast that I wanted to highlight. Um, And the second thing is just the the emotional impact um, that these have on our lives that we've talked about before in some of the other podcasts um, and I've talked about even with my own story and just especially bringing up that trauma piece of it um, and the importance of addressing that in a professional way. Um, Our support group on Facebook is wonderful. Uh, I know that a lot of people find it helpful. Um, Miranda talks about how she actually did not find the support group helpful. It actually kind of caused her to be even more traumatized. Um, And I just wanted to, you know, point out that for anyone else who's listening who maybe is in our Facebook support group, another one, um, you know, whatever you're trying to do, to help yourself to heal. If you're noticing that you're actually feeling worse, then maybe it's time to take a break or, um, or, you know, just step away from it altogether. But as you can hear um, later in the podcast, Miranda and I both cannot recommend some sort of trauma therapy um, highly enough. It has been super beneficial for both of us. And so that was just the second thing that I wanted to bring up Um, again, is that um, if you feel like your birth was traumatic, please find someone around you who specializes in trauma therapy. And I will include some links um, with this podcast that you can maybe try to find someone in your area to talk to. So here is Miranda from Maine. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Well, thank you for chatting with me. Yeah, I'm really excited. I've, I've, it's something that, especially in the last like year that I've kind of been just, I've wanted to share, but like, you know, it's not really the kind of thing you can just necessarily like, hey, all my Instagram friends that are like half my family, <laughs> like, let's talk about this. It's kind of weird. So yeah, I was really excited to find a place to be able to share that. 
Um, so how long ago was your birth? Uh, actually just over two years. My son just turned to the end of last month. So, okay. um, just over two years ago. Yeah. Um, and do you want to tell us a bit just about like the birth itself, that story? Sure. Yeah. So I, um, obviously he was my first and I, was induced at 41 weeks. Um, I, my blood pressure had been great all the way through and just kind of the timing of it. Um, the day before I hit 41 weeks, I went in and it had been a really stressful afternoon. So my blood pressure was a little high and my doctor was like, you know, I'm not going to take any chances and, um, we're going to have you come in at like eight or 6am tomorrow. And this is at like four in the afternoon. So we were, Literally, like, we were shocked. My <laughs> husband forgot how to use his phone. It was it was great. So um, we go in, and I had already, you know, I was a couple, I think I was at, like, a two or a three, and almost was, like, 75, 80% effaced. And so they, we got there, we got settled in, and around 9.30 that morning, they hooked me up to Pitocin, which I wouldn't wish on my enemies. Mm-hmm. Um So they got me hooked up and, you know, slowly, like most of the morning was pretty calm and, you know, not too much was going on. We had grilled cheese for lunch and it was just a pretty chill day. Like we were playing cards. And so then probably around one, 1230 or one, things started getting a little more intense. Um, And so I was last checked, I think around 130 and I was still at like a three. And so, you know, I got in the tub for a little bit. My husband, my squeamish husband was a rock star and was so calm the whole day. And I, I wanted to try and avoid getting an epidural if I could. Um, And I wanted, I was going to originally try nitrous oxide. Mm -hmm. So flash forward till about four o'clock, I was really hurting and you know like couldn't speak couldn't do anything except like every time I got a contraction like hit my husband's arm for him to press on my lower back and so eventually you know at that point I was extremely lightheaded and the nurse was like I don't think nitrous is going to be a good option for you because the last thing I want obviously is for you to pass Mm. out so my husband and I talked about it and And I hadn't been checked again in about three hours at this point, two and a half hours. And so I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, like, this is just the beginning. You have so much further to go. Like, and my husband's like, I'm a little concerned. So I think we should do the epidural. And I, at that point, you know, I was like, there's a difference between being able to do something and wanting Mm -hmm. to do something. And at that point, I was like, you know, yeah, I might be able to do this without an epidural, but I want to be able to actually be present and like whenever I have my baby to actually, you know, not be so exhausted that I, I can't enjoy my baby. So at that point, I decided to get an epidural. And, and while we were waiting for anesthesia, the anesthesiologist to come up, she's like, okay, let me just check you again. And I was at like almost a nine at that wow. point. And she's like, that's why you've been hurting so much because you've gone in two and a half hours. You've gone from a three to a right. nine. Um, 
and I in that moment I was like oh okay maybe I'm not because at that point I was like man I thought I had a pretty high pain tolerance and so then I was like beating myself (laughs) up a little bit thinking like this is just the beginning and you know and so I was like oh maybe I'm not as much of a chicken as I thought (laughs) I was so they come in and uh, give me the epidural and I remember asking the nurse I was like when does it start working on both sides? <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay, I give it a few minutes. And so they, I still had full sensation on my left side. So they rolled me onto my left side because that's supposed to help. And it was awful. It was like the worst thing. And I was like, get, nope, 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 nope. Like this is not, it's not helping. It's making it worse. And so I am not like a, a super strong physically person, but I all like, you know, they rolled me back onto my back. It was working on half and on one half. And in that moment, I was like, guys, I got to push like, and she's like, you can't yet like you are so close, but we want to, you know, they wanted to avoid, avoid internal tearing. And so she's like, I promise you just hold on for a few more minutes. She's like, just give your body a couple more minutes to finish doing what it needs to do so that you don't you know, do some, some serious internal damage. And I'm like, it's a good thing. I love you. It's a good thing. I trust you. And so I'm like sitting Indian style on the bed, lifting myself up off the bed with every contraction, just trying not to push. And so they, they have the anesthesiologist come back in and thankfully they were able to make, you know, a little adjustment to my epidural and literally right before it was time to push, like he was still in the room when they were like, and we're going to push. And I, the, the thing I remember the most in that moment is the most random thing. But I remember the look on the doctor, the anesthesiologist's face. He was like, I thought he was going to throw up. And he literally like ran out of my room because oh my, my epidural was working. And he was like, I'm out I of did here. my job. My job is over. I'm out. <laughs> right. Like, please let me have some freedom from this. And so, you know, we, I think I pushed for a total of maybe 12 15 minutes um I was very kind of out of it like I from probably around 1 30 that afternoon I had these like blacks I wasn't passing out or anything but I took these like little black spots in my memory mm-hmm. that you know I was functioning I was walking and talking but I just don't have any memory mm-hmm. from little moments of the day um and so I whenever it came time to push, I remember the nurses were saying things to me like push, like push towards your bottom. And I was just like, I looked at them and I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like I was hearing the words and things that I knew. Like at one point they told me we had to take a little bit of a break because his heart rate was a little wonky. And so they just wanted to rest for a minute. And so they told me, they're like, okay, we're going to start pushing again, but this time push at half strength. And I remember just being so confused because I didn't, in that moment, I was so focused and like, so kind of just in some zone that I didn't even occur to me that like I could control Mm. how hard I was pushing. And I was just like, I don't know how to, I didn't realize I could do it any different. (laughs) And so the nurse just kind of looked at me and she's like, maybe like, just do what you've been doing. Cause I, she could tell, I just, I was so kind of out of it that such common sense things that like that like I literally just didn't know I could control how hard I pushed now um and so a few pushes later my almost 10 pound 
giant kid was born and he had a 14 and a half inch head, which here we are um, between his head and my overzealous pushing. Um, now you and I are talking. So it was, I mean, it was crazy. I, they put him on my chest and I not, I'm not kidding. I thought he was an alien for the first like 10 seconds. And I was like trying to back into the bed and my husband's like, what are you doing? And I remember thinking like, why is no one else concerned that there is an alien on my chest right now? And so he's like, honey, the baby's here. And as soon as he said it, like my brain kind of caught up with reality and, and I touched him and like, I put my hand on his back and everything just kind of clicked back to reality. And, um, it was, it was great. You know, I had uh, several friends had warned me. They're like, after the baby comes out, like, you know, the afterbirth, that's, that's awful. And so I'm like bracing for impact and it was really not a big deal. I was like, this is not a, like, it was not a big deal at all. Mm-hmm. And so I, at that point I was like, okay, like we're doing good. And so then I remember the doctor and like three nurses behind her all kind of standing at the foot of my bed and they all kind of turn their head to the side and they're just looking at me mm-hmm. there. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that doesn't seem normal. Right. And so the doctor, you know, she starts trying to make a, a stitch and I'm like, ow. And she's like, oh, you can feel that. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, okay, I'll be right back. And she like, quickly leaves the room and I'm still just like okay whatever you know like looking at my baby and thinking life is grand and so she comes back in and she's like here's the deal you have a fourth degree tear and because you're she's like first of all in order to repair this properly so that you don't have any issues in the future with it I would feel more comfortable doing this in the OR, but especially because your epidural didn't take all the way Mm -hmm. and you can still feel it. She's like, I wouldn't be able to give you anything or do anything to make you feel less pain than you just were. And it's only going to get worse from there. And so I think that we need to, she's like, I've already booked an OR. I've already called in a second surgeon to assist and we're going to take you downstairs as soon as the room is ready and we're going to do this the right way. That's and awesome. at that point, like, I mean, I, I knew it was possible, but I didn't, I didn't really know what it, like, I mean, I knew what it meant, but I didn't understand, you know, kind of the long term of things and. So I think uh, he was born at 618 and they took me downstairs right around seven o'clock. So I got to hold him for about 30 minutes and then I wanted to be there when my husband held him for the first time. And so uh, I, you know, handed him off to my husband. My mom came in. Um, I didn't get to see my mom hold him, but I at least got to see my mom meet him for the first time. And then they wheel me away as my husband's family is coming in the door and all of like, so my husband's family is coming in, I'm leaving the room. And then the nurse starts like, she grabs my, my son from my husband and like rushes him over to the incubator saying something about he's too hot. Mm. And so I have no idea what's going on. I have, you know, I'm still kind of in shock. I'm still out of it in a little sense. Um, and I, I just remember going down the hallway of the hospital thinking, okay, well, you know, I don't know what's about to happen to me. I don't know what's going on with my son, you know, and I just thankfully like, you know, I was, I had enough presence of mind to like pray in that Mm -hmm. moment, but 
I just remember having this thought that like, what if I never wake up and my son has to spend his whole life without a mom? And I was just like, no, like I can't, I can't. And so they take me down to the ER. And at that point they told me, um, the doctor that was going to be coming in to assist my delivery doctor was the OBGYN that we had seen at all, but like, I think seven of our appointments and we loved him. Like he came to the the hospital early that morning. He's the one who scheduled our induction and he came in early that morning before he went to the office to check on us and to visit with us. And um, at that point I just, you know, tears of joy because I knew I felt, I felt like I was going to be okay. Um, And so I was in the OR for about an hour and a half Uh, two hours. I was in recovery for another hour and I made it back upstairs right around 10 o'clock that night. Um, And so really, I mean, outside of the the very first 40 minutes that Abel was here, I had, I missed the the next three hours of of his life. And my poor husband was, you know, (laughs) suddenly a solo parent, like with a brand new baby. And yeah, I just wanted to highlight, um, you know, I know that taking you to the OR um, was probably a very scary thing for you. Um, but just the importance of, like you mentioned, the long-term um, healing. Yes. That there are so many women, um, myself included, who get repaired in the delivery room, um, you know, immediately after birth. And like you mentioned also, not being completely numb um, and being able to feel a lot of the stuff there are women who have to go through that and so if there are any you know medical professionals listening to this just like what (laughs) please take us to the OR (laughs) I mean what your doctor did for you not only in the moment you know not basically torturing you to feel the repair um, I mean but also most likely um, prevented like a long, a lot of short-term or long-term problems by giving you, you know, a really good repair in the OR under, you know, good anesthesia where you're probably not like squirming around. Um, yeah, just that's so important. And yeah, I'm really thankful that while I'm sure it was very terrifying in the moment, um, I'm sure that it has something to do with, um, yeah, how well you, physically have done since then yes it's I mean it was it was scary but I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything about the day he was born but especially that like that moment could have gone so differently and honestly it wasn't until about I would say like six months postpartum that I really because it was my first baby Mm -hmm. I had never that I'm aware of. I don't know anyone personally who's ever had a fourth degree tear. I've never heard anyone, you know, like most of my friends, at least with their first would have a first or second degree tear, but like, I never heard anyone talk about it. I didn't really. And I'm so fortunate because I think in a sense, like ignorance sometimes is bliss. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) I knew that I was in great hands with my doctors. They checked me. They kept up with me so well at the hospital they had me come back a couple of days after we were released from the hospital and, you know, like they took such great care of me there that like, I never, I mean, obviously I still don't have anything to compare it to, but, you know, going through the recovery of that, it's kind of like, 
it set the bar really high for like you know like in the future any other kids that I might Mm -hmm. have like I because I walked around like and this is probably gonna sound gross but the only way I can describe it is like I literally had a brick between Mm -hmm. my legs for like four weeks and I couldn't sit down without a waffle cushion I couldn't like they sent me home with a sits bath, which was great, but I was supposed to do it for like 15 minutes a day and I could barely sit on it for like two mm-hmm. minutes a day. And, but that was just normal to me. Um, and so I'm like, in the future, it will be helpful because the chances of that happening again are very slim. <laughs> um, and so recovery could, would seem a lot less intense, mm-hmm. but you know, it wasn't until about six months postpartum where I started having um, some some concerns like I I was on antibiotics um, and it just like kind of wreaked havoc on my digestive system and there were some things that I was like um I can't really tell like what exactly is going on with my body when I'm going to the bathroom like and I started having some concerns that like hey maybe something isn't quite right and then I started doing research and I freaked out a little bit whenever I started hearing stories about women with fourth degree tears and some of the issues that they've, you know, dealt with and lifelong issues that have happened. And, uh, it was, it freaked me out quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I found, and that's, you know, in, in my email to you, I had mentioned that I was nervous at first when I stumbled across your Instagram, because the only other community support that I had found was a group on Facebook that was largely based overseas, but there, and I found it right around this time that I started doing research and, um, excuse me, looking into what, what was really going on or what could be wrong with my body. And the page was just filled with so much anger and bitterness and fear. Mm. And, and I, I completely understand all of those emotions. I, went through those same emotions myself. And I know if my story were different, um, I may still even two years later may still be feeling some of those things, but it, it was very unhealthy for me because it caused a lot of fear and anxiety to the point that I actually had to go to therapy, um, because I was so terrified of, of all of what could be wrong. And, you know, thankfully in that season, I was friends with an OBGYN and just kind of in casual conversation, I mentioned to her and her eyes got big as saucers. And she's (laughs) like, Oh, when I told her I had a fourth degree tear and um, she had, you know, immediately text a friend of hers who was a urogynecologist and told her what was going on and the concerns I had. And she's like, I will see her in two days in the office. Um, and so I went in and thankfully my repair, she did a very, very thorough, very intrusive <laughs> examination of all the things. Um, but she assured me, she's like, your repair is one of the best repairs that I've seen. And she's like, you know, you are so fortunate that the issue that you were concerned about is not an issue. There's like your repair basically is like as good as they come. Um, and I know that I know that if I hadn't gone to the OR and I know that if I hadn't had phenomenal doctors, but also a doctor who recognized the place that I was at and also the fact that, you know, it just, it would not have been good for me then or long-term for her to try and tackle it in that moment. And so she took that step and booked the OR and calls in another surgeon just to make sure that, 
between the two of them that they were going to do the best that could be done, you know, and like, I didn't go to a big fancy, I mean, it's a nice hospital, but it wasn't like this big fancy hospital and, you know, in a big city or anything like that. But I've, I've since learned the value of what they did for me that day. And it's something that I cannot ever repay them. Mm -hmm. You know, there are no words, there's no gift enough to say to them, like, thank you for, doing like thank you for doing what I needed and for taking care of me so thoughtfully and so like with such compassion I think you know yeah um talk to me about um going to like the therapy and how was that process like oh man that was it was very hard but very very good um flash forward I was just after one it was, so this time last year um my son had just turned one we had just moved I had transitioned into staying home full time and um you know we I started feeling a lot of internal pressure and we started getting the like so when are you gonna have another mm. one question a lot around his birthday and it just kind of drove me for a few months. It drove me to this very uh, internal and isolated place where I wasn't talking to anybody about it. I wasn't talking to my husband. I wasn't talking to the Lord. Like I was not doing anything except for trying to bury this fear and anxiety that I had. And, And I ended up, I realized that a lot of the fear that I was feeling at that point, like it started when I, around six months when I had concerns and I thought like all of these things could be wrong with me, it got better after I kind of got the all clear, but like that seed was planted of just not, not good, not healthy um, mindset looking at childbirth. And I had never looked back on my son's birth with anything other than great joy. And you know, in one sense, like would I have loved to have not gone through some of the things that I did? Absolutely. But I wouldn't change it because it was the day that my son was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like try to be like, you know, like over the top excited and like nothing ever gets me down Mary Poppins <laughs> about that. But, you know, fear is something that I've struggled with off and on throughout my whole life. And I had to fight tooth and nail during my pregnancy to not walk in fear and I, I made a commitment to myself and to my son and any other babies I might carry that I didn't want their pregnancy. I didn't want to look back on that time or their birth and it be surrounded with fear and anxiety. And mm-hmm. so I fought hard for that during my pregnancy. And um, But around one year postpartum, it was starting to affect the way that I looked back on his story. And it was starting to kind of project this very fearful uh, expectation for the future. Mm -hmm. And I was already feeling fear for pregnancies that I hadn't even experienced and births that I hadn't even gone through yet. And I just, I internalized all of it and I didn't say anything. And, you know, I had been told by both after I immediately after I had my son and at that six month checkup with a urogynecologist, they're like, you know, you have big babies. Well, you had a big baby. There's a good chance you could have another really big baby. And 
for your sake, for your health, we really, like, you should, if you have another one, you should really do a C-section. Mm-hmm. And that terrified me for a lot of reasons. I had the first couple of months postpartum with my son, um, nighttime was torturous. Like I had a lot of anxiety about night. I wouldn't sleep in our bedroom for a couple of weeks because he had an awful witching hour from like 11 to 2 AM every day. That first like week we were home from the hospital and it, it literally like scarred me. And so I didn't sleep in our room for like two weeks after that, because just that, like that anxiety and anticipation of it being that bad forever was something that was very real to me. And so when people said to me, oh, you need to have a C-section, I'm thinking to myself, how can I recover from a C-section with a toddler and a newborn and nighttimes going through what we went through before? Now, also, I didn't, I had issues with breastfeeding. I just never, my milk never came in. Um, And I didn't know that for like three weeks Mm -hmm. because, you know, I just didn't know. And so there was a lot of things that factored into how difficult those first couple of weeks and months were. And I also only unfortunately had six weeks maternity leave at the time, um, which was not enough. I, it, it, uh, that's a, that's another conversation, (laughs) but, um, so there was a lot that kind of contributed to that, but staring all of those questions of when are we going to have another one? Are we going to have another one? What's that going to look like? Um, staring those down around his first birthday and internalizing all of that fear and the fear of having a C-section and just feeling like I wouldn't be able to survive recovering from a C-section with a toddler and newborn and nighttime being the way that it was. And I just, I just finally one night at probably 11 o'clock, because that seems to be when all of my breakdowns happen (laughs) is late at night Mm. and then, um, I just, in tears, I finally told my husband, I said, look, I, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't, I, I have so much fear and, you know, even just thinking about our family growing, that joy has been stolen from me and I've been trying to deal with it on my own and it's not going well and I'm not in a good place. Um, Thankfully, my my husband's dad actually is he is a counselor. um, And so he was able to for some other things that my husband had gone through, had actually, you know, told him about this very specific type of counseling. It's called uh, traumatic incident resolution Hmm. therapy. And he my husband's father is certified in it, but he recommended a fantastic therapist to my husband and Uh, He went just, you know, some things that he was walking through with some family members and it was so, so good. And his therapist was amazing. And so I called her up and I just said, Sherry, I need help. And she immediately put me on the schedule. I mean, I, I was very fortunate. She's a very, very capable and talented therapist. And, you know, and it, this type of therapy it's not I mean a lot of times you think of counseling or therapy as you go in and you sit down and they ask you questions like well how does that make you feel (laughs) or they give you advice or they tell you what to do and this type of therapy really couldn't be more opposite I we went in and we talked about she asked me a series of questions kind of covering just like 
you know, something sometimes is has general as, is there anything that you think about that makes you feel frustrated on a regular basis or makes you feel anxious on a regular basis? And so after we go through her questionnaire, um, she compiled this big list of all of the things that um, basically like things that either I said or things that she, maybe I didn't even say, but whenever they were brought up that she noticed it elicited in it, a negative emotional reaction from me. Mm -hmm. So she would add those things to the list. And then we went back down through that list and we gave everything a number between zero or one being, yeah, it kind of bothers me, but like, you know, (laughs) like it's just like a temporary blip of an inconvenience on the screen to a 10 being it's really, really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was very surprised though, because some of the things that, ended up on that list that actually had higher numbers than my birth and like the fear of the future. There were a couple of things that I didn't even expect that it was just very, very comical, but it was very eye opening. And so um, there were different techniques that she would do with me. So the one that was really the most pivotal, pivotal, sorry, I'm like really like nervous and like, (laughs) so I can't talk with anything. I totally understand. So no problem at all. (laughs) Okay, good. My heart's like, (laughs) um, but she, the day that we really, because she let me kind of pick and choose, like I would go in uh, for two hour sessions with her once a week and she would say, Hey, like, what do you, what do you want to start with today? Mm -hmm. And so we did quite a few other smaller things before I was really ready to tackle babies and birth mm-hmm. and all of that. And kind of get some practice so in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And just to, I think, let my guard down mm-hmm. and to build confidence in her and the, the techniques and in myself, honestly, to really be able to, like, I consider myself a strong person mentally and emotionally, but I needed to build up that confidence that I was going to be able to work through this and to come out the other side better than I was. And so she sat me down that day and she's like, okay, I think it's time. And um, so she said, I want you to walk me through the absolute worst case scenario that you can think of. And she's like, and I know there are going to be things that you aren't going to want to say out loud, but you need to. And I was like, I, Sherry, I can't do that. Like, that's too, that's, you know. And so she's like, yes, you can. And so literally, I mean, that's, that's what we did is I went through, basically, she, like, we, we painted the picture of, okay, let's pick a time. Let's pick a year. Let's pick a season of the year. You're having your second baby. You go to the hospital and you have a C-section. Tell me what is the absolute worst thing that could ever happen in that scenario (laughs) and I'm like Sherry like I can't you know like obviously you know and now I can say like it's still awful to think about but I'm like my baby dies right I die like that is the worst thing you know and so we paint this picture and and she had me be very very not like graphic in the sense of like a gory graphic but very detailed in okay so imagine you're in the operating room what does that feel like what do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? Like in this terrible scenario in your brain, what is that like really kind of getting into what that looks like? Um, 
And then I got through the end of it and she said, okay, now tell me a slightly better version of it. So I, I did. And, you know, multiple times we would go through this and each time, and it sounds crazy because like my husband had told me about this technique and I'm like, I don't know how this helps. (laughs) But then you like slowly, you kind of work yourself away from that worst case scenario into, okay, now like it kind of, I think helped my brain to understand like how unlikely that was and how outlandish some of the things that I I thought would happen like that I pictured in this worst case scenario really were and so we worked and she's like okay now paint me like the the dream picture of what a perfect day would be like and you know in in that season of where I was at um and in dealing with the future birth of my children, a big thing for me that I didn't even realize was an issue was I was convinced that if I had a C-section that it was going to be me laying on this cold stainless steel table in a blue room and everybody's in blue and everybody is silent. Nobody is talking to me. Nobody's looking at me. It's just, it's like a machine, a very cold disconnected machine And ultimately, a lot of that came down to I felt like I was afraid I wouldn't have any control. I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to contribute to bringing my baby into this world, which is ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, you're birthing a baby. It's that's all you like. But it just I realized in that season that a lot of it was just that fear of losing control and fear of recovering and you know and I have this very unrealistic idea of what recovery would look like and so we I did my sessions with her and you know I I felt much better about that and even in the year since then I've I've a couple months back I had another like midnight breakdown to my husband and I was like, I went to see Sherry and I don't have fear of like giving birth anymore. I don't have a fear of being pregnant again, Um, but I still didn't know if I wanted more kids. And it took a long time. Like a lot of it, really the root of that for me came back to how rough night times were for me uh, emotionally and breastfeeding and breastfeeding is fantastic. And I applaud anyone who it's never easy, but anyone who can champion through that and can, um, can do that for any length of time, but it's, it was not mentally or emotionally healthy for me. And I just, I mean, I had a 10 pound kid and I had no milk and like my kid was always starving. So he's always screaming and I was too freaked out and too felt too much like a failure to like. I was so strict with his supplemental formula feeding. Like it was, it was detrimental to my mental health Mm -hmm. to try and go through a breastfeeding journey. And I I mean, I did, I nursed him once a day for like five minutes until he was six months old. And that was a huge accomplishment, but um, through going to therapy for dealing kind of with the specific root of my birth trauma and being able to resolve that and have a, a healthy and realistic expectation of even like my, because, you know, I don't know, it, it was very helpful. Um, And even now I've learned and I've been able to kind of grow through some of the birth trauma in that initial like first couple of months of the postpartum period, just that trauma that I endured, that 
some I think is very common to most most moms. I think some recovering from a fourth degree tear with a newborn and having no milk and you know it was was a rough combination Mm -hmm. so (laughs) it's I definitely am in a much healthier place now because I went to therapy and I I I wish that I I I seriously sometimes I'm like how do more moms not need therapy and then I slowly started (laughs) realizing like I think that they do yeah but I think that sometimes we don't know that we do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just think that what we're going through is normal mm-hmm. and that it like it will just get better mm-hmm. because every mom do- goes through this. And yeah, some things every mom does go through, but it doesn't matter because your story is your story. And we all need someone in our corner who's, you know, sometimes I've... You have to have someone who's there just for you and Mm. their concern is just for you and they're not worried about everybody else involved and they're there to just help you be okay. And so I really realized that it's not so much that I was, I was like an oddball who needed therapy. (laughs) I just realized that like, no, most moms I think Mm -hmm. do need therapy, but they just either don't know or there's so many stigmas and so much guilt sometimes and shame that comes from seeking out health for your help for your mental health that they just don't yeah uh, and so I literally like every every person I know that gives birth I'm like here's my therapist <laughs> number please call her I if you need to yeah I am right there with you um yeah I just started myself six and a half years after my fourth degree tear um so it took me a lot longer to go than you <laughs> Um, but yeah, now that I've finally done it, it's like, oh my gosh, I should have done this such a long time ago. And yeah, I agree. It's like therapy for everyone, please. Right. You get therapy and you get therapy and you get therapy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, It's, yeah. yeah, it's, I think it's hard as a mom. I think that was one of the biggest things that I felt like, you know, even in, in a lot of that emotional difficulty that I had in those first couple of months, it was because I felt like I'm the mom, I'm supposed to be taking care of everyone. And I didn't ask for foolish me. I didn't ask for help mm. when I needed it. And not just like with, you know, like his simple things is in the middle of the night, I was too concerned because my husband will sleep through most anything. Mm-hmm. I was too concerned and like too in an unhealthy way, I was more worried about my husband getting sleep than I was my own mental health. And he had no idea yeah. because I never said anything to him. Um, and, you know, so he's just like going along thinking that like I'm this warrior, like who's <laughs> up with the baby all night. And like he would, of course, would offer. And there were times that I would wake him up. But, you know, he didn't realize what I was going through because I, I like put this kind of self-imposed well, you're the mom, you're the wife, you need to take care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And you, your needs need to come last because now you're a mom. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, <laughs> I, it's hard to take care of anybody, but especially a baby, it, even now a toddler, it's so difficult to take care of a toddler if I'm not taking care of myself in all of the ways mm-hmm. first. And so it's, we we put a lot of guilt and pressure on ourselves to do everything and be everything for everyone else. And the whole time we're kind of in a boat that's sinking fast and mm-hmm. we're like, oh, well, I guess this is just motherhood, but that's really not motherhood. That's, 
fear and guilt and shame and the weight of the world is not what motherhood's intended to be. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I get, I talk a lot. No, I probably should have no, warned that's you great. about, like, usually, like, <laughs> real me in a little bit. No, seriously, yeah, no, everything you're saying is, yeah, definitely true. Um, the name of the specific therapy that you did, you said traumatic resolution Traumatic Incident Resolution Therapy, I believe. That sounds fascinating. It really is. And just as a side note, like I, you don't even, you don't have to be like a licensed counselor to this. Is It's a, there's a, like a certification that you can go to. The, I like, I'm not saying this to like, don't be like, oh, I can learn on the internet and do it myself. <laughs> right. But it's something that even in, in ministry, like there are you know, I've been able to like share with kind of my mentors in ministry about this type of therapy, because it's something that you can apply. Everybody's gone through something traumatic Mm -hmm. and it's an, an amazing therapy technique that you can go and you can attend classes and get certifications for that. You don't have to have, you know, like you don't have to go to a four year school and get your master's in, in counseling because it's not, it's not the counselor, the therapist's job to tell the counselee what to do or to give them advice they literally she never told me what to do never once shared an opinion with me mm-hmm. all she did was ask me questions that were designed to help me change the way that I looked at the situation mm-hmm. and that were designed to help me get to the root of my own situation and find my the solution that I needed was never about being told what to do or about being given advice. Um, And so it's something that I feel like is an underutilized, like, like, why doesn't everyone know about this? (laughs) It literally, it changed my life. It changed the whole course of my family. And you said that you went um, two hours once a week. Is that right? Yes. And how, like approximately how long um, did it take um, it honestly, it was very quick. I think I went a total, I'm trying to think maybe I want to say over the course of eight weeks, but I didn't, I w- didn't attend all of those because we had some, you know, in Southern Maine, we have crazy weather mm-hmm. uh, in the fall. And so I think I maybe went six sessions, okay. five or six out of that. Well, so that's pretty and quick, you know compared to typical you know like counseling or whatever sometimes it can take like months of talking and um, right yeah which is another um, I think important thing to to point out is that obviously what you were doing was something very specific to trauma I mean it has the word traumatic in it Um, and I probably what I I am doing the specific type of therapy that I do for myself um, with a counselor is it's EMDR, um, which is a treatment specific for trauma. And so I think it's important to point out because a lot of people who experience, you know, a traumatic birth, um, they, if they are having, you know, negative feelings or whatever associated with it, a lot of times they get, um, if they talk about it or tell people how they're feeling, like their OB or their family doctor or whoever, then they'll get diagnosed with like postpartum depression or yes. postpartum anxiety <laughs> or something like that. Um, right. But the trauma p- 
piece of it kind of gets overlooked maybe. Um, Right. So they're either treated for like postpartum depression, we'll say with, and if they actually do go to a counselor even, um, and then they can just get treated like with some sort of talk therapy, something um, that has to do more with like depression, but this trauma piece of it gets ignored basically. Um, Yeah. But you actually need like very specific types of therapy, like the one that you mentioned, or, you know, like I, I'm doing EMDR. Um, and those are specific therapies for trauma. Um, so my point is, if there's anyone listening who maybe feels like their birth was traumatic and they dealt with whatever you want to call it, maybe it seemed like postpartum depression or anxiety or something, some sort of negative feelings afterwards. And maybe you even did reach out for help, but you still feel um, like maybe there's something there that still doesn't feel right. You still don't feel great. You know, maybe reaching out to something specific that deals with the trauma part of it. Um, And I mean, even some people could have a combination of maybe you did have postpartum depression, but maybe you also had a traumatic birth that needs to be dealt with also. Um, Yeah, try to look around for different types of treatment um, that can deal with that. Because like you said, six sessions of two hours, that's really pretty quick, you know, to deal with something that obviously was affecting you for like a whole year. Um, Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was very, and also just to point out as well, like I said, the first probably three two or three sessions of that we didn't touch anything to do Mm. with my Mm -hmm. my birth story yeah you know we talked about you know unfortunately I just over 10 years ago I lost my dad Mm. uh, in a a motorcycle accident and that was something that came up and um, not so much like dealing with the loss of my dad but dealing with some of the repercussions that that has had on my life and family members life since then that I didn't realize had like even though I was in a good place and I had had you know grieved the first couple of years were rough but then I I learned how to grieve in a healthy way and um and in a very good place and having dealt with my father's death there were some residual effects from that that I hadn't dealt with dealt with has health in such a healthy way I guess um and so it all six of those visits weren't even geared toward specifically to my birth. And Mm -hmm. I, I will say though, that I, like I've said, you know, even this year and this summer, I've kind of dealt with really understanding because again, I felt myself growing to this place where I went to therapy and all of the fear and anxiety that I had dealing specifically with my traumatic birth were better. And I didn't look towards the future with fear of giving birth or being pregnant. Um, had a lot of fear and anxiety about having a second child Mm -hmm. and I didn't understand and for for a while I was like man did I not like you know I just I second guessed myself a lot and then I've come to realize that it for me personally it was a twofold there were two separate traumas that happened the trauma of birth and recovering from a fourth degree tear Mm -hmm. and having to be whisked into surgery and you know being told that, hey, you really need to have a C-section moving forward. That was all kind of one big trauma for me. But the second trauma was 
that of, you know, how difficult the night times were and, and not asking for help Mm -hmm. and for kind of forcing myself to be isolated in that time, even though I didn't realize it, I was never categorized. I never had any symptoms of postpartum depression. Honestly, at the time I didn't know that postpartum anxiety was a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, that's something I recently discovered, but you know, so I, I didn't check off any warning sign boxes for myself, for my family, for my, my doctor of having depression or anxiety postpartum, but I still was feeling fear and anxiety about something. And it took me, it's taken me two years to realize that there was a second trauma that happened Mm -hmm. for me just, and it, they do, they, they feed off of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, my recovery, of course, and those early weeks and months would have been much different if I didn't have a fourth degree tear, but there was more to it. And so it's something that like exactly what you were saying, you, you may have postpartum depression or anxiety and treat that. And that's fantastic. But if there's still unresolved trauma, mm-hmm. that there's still unresolved trauma and you may not have, like, I, I didn't exhibit signs of depression or anxiety postpartum. But that doesn't mean that I did not have trauma. And that doesn't mean that I didn't end up in a very unhealthy place because of that unresolved trauma. And so now, you know, even now, just just this past week, actually, for the first time in a really long time after, you know, therapy and talking with my husband, I found myself actually looking forward to having another baby because for even after birth trauma therapy, like I still had that, that just apprehension about it. Um, and once I was able to use those techniques that I learned in therapy and work through some of those things, um, and really understand what it was that I was afraid of and why I was afraid of it, it's brought me to such a better place. But I'm, I mean, this was the beginning of July in tears, I told my husband that I didn't know if I ever wanted to have another baby. Mm-hmm. Like I did, but I was so fearful that I didn't know if I could do it. And that, I mean, I avoided telling my husband that I didn't know if I wanted another kid because I knew how much he did mm-hmm. for months and it was killing me. But being vulnerable, part of it is is being honest with yourself. Part of it is being vulnerable Um, whether that means to your spouse, to a friend, to a doctor, to a therapist, being vulnerable and saying, I'm in a rough place and I need to get better and I need help and I need support. That's a huge first step. Mm -hmm. And then actually going through those things and dealing with that trauma. Um, it's amazing what a difference that it makes because like I said if you had asked me the the end of June if I was going to have more kids I would have told you candidly I would have told you absolutely I will never have another child mm. unless I adopt yeah you asked me that question I'll be like um I think that we are going to mm. yeah and it, you deserve to to you deserve to be able to walk in freedom from the trauma you can't stop trauma from happening but you can rewrite the story and it takes time it takes time to be ready to rewrite the rest of your story after your trauma but you can do it and you deserve to be free of that Mm. and you know therapy is not always cheap Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. honestly (laughs) and you have to find child care like I mean we were 
and I only say this to like encourage someone because I almost, this was the biggest obstacle in me going is we had just started a new insurance year um, with insurance for my husband's work and we had to pay out of pocket Mm -hmm. for therapy and it got credited towards our deductible, but it was $75 an hour. Yeah. Two hour sessions once a week. (laughs) Right. And at the time we had just gone from, I mean, it, it washed out because childcare is crazy expensive, but we had just transitioned to a one income household. Mm. My husband was making, you know, okay money, but like we didn't have an extra $150 a week for me to go to therapy. And we fought tooth and nail and we made a lot of very difficult sacrifices for those couple of weeks so that I could do that because, and I'm, I'm so thankful that my husband knows the value of therapy and he values and like cares for me enough to be like, I don't care if I have to get a a (laughs) part-time job. Right. And that's what he did. He worked part-time with his dad on a side business Mm -hmm. to pay for me to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, it's, it's a, sometimes a hard financial investment, but it's, if you get a good therapist, Mm -hmm. it's always worth it. Yes. Totally agree. Yep. Been in a very similar boat as you. I've been having to pay for mine out of pocket too because of deductible. Yeah. So I hear you. It's, yeah. I'm like, thank you insurance. Uh, That's not really helpful. I know. <laughs> yeah. But like you said, it is, I mean, if you can make it work, if you can make some sacrifices, it is so worth it. And most likely probably financially like pays for itself in the long run, <laughs> you know, it, yes. it makes you <laughs> healthier in so many ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just not making poor decisions in other areas of your life or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Was there anything else that you can think of or that you want to add? Not really. I feel like I've talked plenty. <laughs> oh, no, you did great. And it was awesome. Thank you very much. I'm. Thank you for this opportunity. Like I said, this is, these are things that have been stirring in my heart for the past year and you know I've in like in personal circles I've spoken of them and to varying degrees in very redacted terms I've shared some of it um on social media but it's something that I'm I'm learning because it's something that I think people need to hear Mm. and I I felt so alone because I'd never heard it. I didn't, I didn't know a single person that had ever had a fourth degree tear like I did. And so I just felt like there wasn't even a friend I could call for advice because nobody had done that. Nobody had been down that road before. And so just finding a way to kind of share this and, you know, with the hope that if what I went through if somebody can just even hear that they weren't the only person who experienced that, I would have paid all the money that (laughs) I could have earned in a lifetime to have heard those words when I was in that place. And so thank you so much for what you're doing and for allowing me the opportunity just to share my story because it's so therapeutic for me Mm -hmm. and it's so encouraging for me. So thank you so very much. Yeah, You're very welcome. And I would not be doing any of this if it wasn't for people like you speaking out. So Uh, right back at (laughs) you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mothers with Fourth Degree Tears podcast. If you have any comments or questions, or if you would be interested in being a guest on our show, 
please email me at motherswith4thdegreetears at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you.